0: Let's open the Word of Prayer. Dear Father in Heaven, we're just so thankful for Christ. We're so thankful for this time, despite the cold. Lord, help us tonight to have a to gain a higher view of Christ. Lord, to have a newfound view of Yourself and of Your Word. Lord, open our eyes and truly guide us tonight. Help us to leave this place, myself included, uh, different people, Lord, with a different perspective on on our life, on our sin, and on ultimately on our Savior. Lord, so please help guide us tonight, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So tonight, the topic is treasuring Christ. That's uh, the title that... I gave this uh, this message, and that treasuring, that's that verb. So uh, the, whole, the whole goal of this sermon is, for us, by the time we leave here, by the time we go through these texts and understand more about them, to have a higher view of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I think that so many things flow from that, that alone. Uh, the main thing which all of us struggle with as Christians, it's kind of one of the main issues, is sin, is it not? That's... But we study, we go through the Word of God, we go to Bible studies, we look at these different things, we learn all this doctrine, all this theology, but what's the purpose? Uh, What's the purpose of your salvation? What's the purpose of this whole thing of church? Why, why Why are we here? Why did you come tonight? For some of you have been here for 30, 40, 50, maybe even 60 years, you spent your whole life in a church. Well, what's the point? Why spend all that time? And Romans gives us a very good look into that. In Romans 8, it talks. Well, we can just turn there quick. Uh, Romans chapter 8. This is Romans 8, uh, 28 and 29. So Pastor Brian mentioned this, this verse this morning when he was closing. Romans 8, 28. And a lot of us, I think, know this verse, probably memorized it by now. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So we love that verse, we know that verse, but it ends, those called according to His purpose. So what's His purpose? Well, it gives us that answer, verse 29. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the whole purpose, His purpose that He calls you, your salvation, is to be conformed to the image of His Son. Be conformed to Christ. That's the whole goal. So you're, when you're justified, when you place your faith in Christ and you're justified, you're made legally right before God when you're, when you're saved. And then we, we love that part. We love the focus on that. And then we love the glorification part, you know, when you die or after the rapture, for those who pass away before that, and all those details, when you get your resurrected body, that glorified state. But there's that aspect in the middle, that sanctification, that becoming more like Christ, being conformed to him, His image, I think is a part that gets left out. And when it comes to our sin, it seems, if you just Google ways to not sin or different things, there's always 101 different things that come up. Uh, Some things that I found is we... One thing is, oh, just occupy yourself. Just do something else with your time. Mm. Uh, Therapy, yoga, just overwhelm your sin. Build up your own self-confidence and take care of yourself. You need to focus on yourself first. These are very common ways. You hear them all the time, even from secular sources, when you just have a problem, whatever it's in with. Your marriage, your life, finances. There's all these different things you can do to solve them. But there's there's an issue. There's a common element, I think, missing in every single one of those. And... It's, it's Christ. It's the Word of God. All these things focus on ourselves, things we can do. And when it comes to human nature, how successful are we? You have Adam and Eve who didn't have that sin nature, and they still failed, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And they, they both failed in their own way. It wasn't just Eve. A lot of times we push everything off onto Eve, and it wasn't just her. Adam was right there, watched her do it, didn't stop it, didn't step in. He wasn't... Um, using his role in the correct way. But they didn't have that sin nature, and they still failed. So if we, with our sin, with our problems, just try to get over it in and of ourselves, our own will, or these other sources, it's not going to work. I think the ultimate issue, uh, what this stems from, is what's on the throne of your heart? Is it Christ? Is Christ the one that you love and desire the most over all things, or is it anything else which would be an idol? So I think just this basic concept of having a high view of Christ can really overflow into the rest of your life and, and into things that you struggle with. Uh, I think One thing that came to my mind, I was watching a documentary with my roommate the other night. I think it was called Winning. It was about these really famous athletes that were ahead of their time, extremely successful. Okay, golfer Jack Nichols? Nicholas? Nicholas. Nicholson. Nicholas. Jack Nicholson. Amazing golfer, right? Had won many, many tours, and he actually got second in an unbelievable amount, too. He was... uh, amazing athlete in the sense of golf there's another a hurdler edwin moses i think was his name and he was phenomenal he went 120 150 races where he didn't lose and that's at the olymp that's at the national olympic level he had it calculated to where if you just ran on the so you have different track lanes right you know you always want to be on the inside shorter around if in in a lane the difference between being on the outside and on the inside saves you i think it's like one to four meters of distance just by hugging the inside. He had it calculated to the amount of steps he would take in every lap because he ran the 400 hurdles. These people, these gymnasts, there's one gymnast who was the first one to ever achieve a perfect score in the Olympics at age 14. I I don't remember the name. (laughs) Yeah, Nadia. But these people, these different athletes, what do you think they spend all day, every day doing? Their sport. And if they're not doing the sport, participating, they're preparing for it. To everything that they eat, to what they drink, the exact amounts, their entire day is planned out for them by their trainers and different things, so that they can achieve these things. Their priority is their sports. That's where where their mind is focused. I remember myself in high school, my mind was completely on sports. I'd wake up at 4.30, 5 a.m., get to school at 6, lift 6 to 7, basketball, run drills 7 to 8, go to school, get done with school, practice, or if practice was late, I would lift, and then I would go home about 7.30. So I spent from 6 a.m. to about 7.30 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. Wednesdays, I I took a rest on Wednesdays throughout high school. That's just what, what I did. That's where my focus was. And then I go to church once a week, or that was about it on Sundays pretty much, because my family went. So what were my priorities? On sports. And the fruit from that shown, didn't it? And these athletes look at what they accomplished. But that's all they did with their time. That was what was really their top priority. That was what was on the throne of their heart was their sports or winning that gold medal. Or that next race. So if we have anything that's our top priority and it's not Christ, it's not God, it's not His Word, we're going to follow that. You follow what is most important to you in your life. And your priorities can often change. For though I'm not a, a parent, but for those of you who are parents, did your priorities change when you had your first kid at all? Did you spend your time a little bit differently, your money a little bit differently, right? Maybe your whole focus on life changed? It should be similar for a believer. When you first become a believer and as you're growing, it should be a drastic life change. Your priorities should change. And oftentimes they do right away, but then you lose, we lose sight of that. They gradually shift back towards the world. For the people back in the times of the Bible, especially the New Testament, a lot of the issue was their priority was, was works, was the law. Kind of the same thing. We try to overwill our sin, do all these different things to make ourselves better, whatever it may be. They had a similar thing. They were following the law. That was their priority. (laughs) So Christ, He gave us a summary of the law in Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. So here, Christ says, Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So they asked him, it was a lawyer asking him a question to test him. said, What is the great commandment? What's the greatest of the commandments? And this is how Christ answered. Love the Lord your God with everything you have your heart, soul, and mind, and if you can do that, then the second was love your neighbor. And if you're truly loving God with everything you have, you will love your neighbor. And that's something that I, in this life, is impossible for for us to accomplish. We can never do that perfectly. I think even for a second, we can never do that perfectly, loving God with everything we have. But what Christ said is, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Every aspect of the Old Testament law, every minor detail can be covered in that. these two things. Loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. So rather than trying to find some brand new way to overcome our sin and to live a better life because there's books coming out all the time, there's things on TV all the time, what we really need to do is focus back to the one who really saved us, the one who gave us this new sight in the first place. Looking back at Christ and like it says here, loving God with every, with everything we had. If you look at the purpose of the law, which is something we've talked about a lot in Galatians for the youth, in Galatians 3.24-25, I'll just read this quick. It says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And after faith had come, we had no longer under a tutor. So the purpose of the law, first of all, is to to show your sin. The Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside them. That was something that happened after Pentecost. So they had the Old Testament law, which was so specific, it could guide them in every detail. We don't have that now, but we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us to guide us in every specific detail. So it says the law was our tutor. When we think tutors, we think school tutors. So we think people, you either pay them money or they free, whatever, and you sit down your kid or even yourself and they work you through math or science or whatever it may be. But that's not what this text is talking about. That's not the type of tutor they had back then. If you were a family and if you had enough money, what you would do is you would hire a tutor and what they would do is they would raise your kid. They'd be doing the discipline for your child until they were of age and well behaved. That was their job. So if you were a kid and you heard tutor, you're not too happy. Just like kids hear tutor and they think school today, they're not too happy. But these people were just to discipline your kids and to keep them in line. That's what they were. And that's what Paul is comparing the law to. It says that it was our tutor, but for what purpose? To bring us to Christ. So even these works, these different things you do or you're trying to do to overcome your sin or to live a better Christian life, it still should point towards Christ, just as the law did. The Pharisees at this time and the Judaizers, even the people that accepted Christ, they said, yeah, he's the Messiah, but we still need the law. We still need these external works. Things of your own will. If you don't do these things, you can't truly be saved. They weren't denying faith in Christ. They were accepting that. They, they agreed with Paul. Oh yeah, Abraham was saved by faith. We still need faith. But then Moses came along and the law was added in. But Paul makes this, this point here that even when the law was here, the whole purpose is to lead, it, lead us to Christ. And after faith has come, we are no longer no longer under a tutor. So the purpose of the law, these different things, is still, is still Christ-centered. And Christ fulfilled the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, to throw this all away, to get you to rebel. Because Christians don't rebel. That's not the purpose. Even when Nero was reigning, Paul said, submit to the government. And this is when Christians were being burned at the stake. So the purpose was not for Christ to come and just overthrow the law and create chaos. But he came to, to fulfill the law. And First Peter gives us a good view on this aspect too, on how this loving God with everything you have, how this treasuring Christ, and how this, what this has to do with the law, and what it has to do with sin. In First Peter 4.8, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Love alone will cover a multitude of sins. If you're truly loving God, if you're truly loving the person that's sitting next to you, your neighbor, not just the one that lives next to you, but everyone around you, it says Peter here says it covers a multitude of sins. When you go out, if you're speaking behind someone's back or whatever whatever you're doing, whatever you struggle with, it stems from either you're not loving the person that you're doing this to, Or You love the pleasure from this sin more than you love God, more than you love holiness. Those are the root issues it comes down to. And later on, towards the end, we're going to look at how that applies directly to judges. And how that applies to Israel. That was their entire issue the whole time. And Peter points that out. That if we simply have love for one another, just what Christ said, it covers a multitude of sins. So many things are covered in just that. That's why when Christ summed up the law, that's what he gave. And he was just quoting the Old Testament anyways in Deuteronomy, but that's why he pulled out those two points, those two laws, because that truly would cover everything. The Old Testament law, every all these aspects, a lot of it we think is weird or hard hard to understand when you're reading through Leviticus or Deuteronomy or parts of Exodus and Numbers and different things. But we're still called to fulfill the, the righteous part of the law. It says the Spirit leads us to fulfill the righteous part of the law. There's a purpose behind each and every law that's given. For example, when, if your ox would go and gore another ox or would kill a person, there's different things you'd have to do. But what's the whole purpose behind that? Responsibility over your stuff. You're supposed to be responsible for your animals, not just let them go all over. So what do you learn from that when you're reading through it? Is You learn responsibility. So as you're reading through or struggling through those the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, think behind all those laws. Okay, what is the heart behind this? Because what did Jesus do? He brought it to the heart of everything, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you say adultery is when you're married, sleeping with somebody else, but I say it's just looking with lust. He goes to the heart of the issue every time. He goes to the heart of the law. What's the true purpose behind it? That's why God said, I do not care for your sacrifices. They actually annoy me. I'm getting sick and tired of them. Because it wasn't the sacrifice in and of itself that really meant anything. It was the heart behind it. So this also, this issue with sin, it's a heart issue. It's not a, oh, I just need to occupy myself. I need to do something else. It's a heart issue. You need to have a higher view of Christ. We all need to have a higher view of Christ. Which is why the gospel is so important which is why we preach Christ all the time which is why the whole bible points towards Christ and that's why we typically when we're giving messages somehow relate it back to Christ or to the gospel in some way shape or form and galatians gives us another so going back to galatians galatians chapter 5 so galatians 5:16 I've always liked this verse because I think a common misconception that we go along with is that there's some middle ground. That, oh, we can kind of be neutral in our faith. I'm not doing anything, okay? I'm not really serving the church a whole lot, but I'm also not a serial killer, so there's that going for me, right? We think that there's some middle ground. But Galatians 5.16 says, "...walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh." For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You're either walking in the Spirit and you're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh or you're walking in the flesh and you're grieving the Spirit. There's only two roads. There is no neutral middle ground. There never has been. Uh, There's a passage in Romans. I'll just turn to it quick and read it. In Romans chapter 8... Verse 4, Paul goes into this. So, this part in Romans 8, he's comparing the flesh and the spirit here. Those who are of the spirit and those who are of the flesh. I do not think this passage is talking about Christians on both sides. I think it's talking clearly about unbelievers, those who are in the flesh, and clearly about believers, those who are in the spirit. Because it says, for those to be carnally minded is death... But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is enmity against God. it is not subject to the law, nor indeed can be. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are in but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Paul makes this sharp contrast between the flesh and between the Spirit. Between those who are in the flesh and those who are of the Spirit. So if you're a believer and you're truly of the Spirit... It's, time, it's it's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same one. It's that same power that's dwelling inside of you. Reading the Book of Acts, all these different things that were powered by the Spirit. That's the this the same Holy Spirit it hasn't changed. Now the ministry of the Spirit may or has changed in small aspects, but overall it's that same power, that same cleansing from sin, that same resurrection power that that dwells inside of you that you have. And then there's a passage in Ephesians which Pastor Brian preached through about grieving that grieving the Holy Spirit. You notice how in Ephesians when we were going through that book as a church, how it said walk in light, walk as children light. Paul uses that word walk a lot, right? He throughout the entire book he uses that, talking about how we ought to walk, and it's not in darkness. So turn to Philippians uh, chapter three. This is where we'll spend most of our time. It's Philippians three one through eleven. So Paul here is giving a kind of his own life in a small nutshell. On having confidence in the flesh or confidence in Christ. On how important it is to not have confidence in your flesh or your own will to to get over sin or to save yourself or to work yourself into righteousness. So Philippians 3, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So a uh, comparison there. Beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision. There's a drastic difference there that he makes. The whole point of this, the circumcision was the symbol that was behind it. That's how the Old Testament people identified as God's people, was by circumcision. That was the the purpose behind it. So he says, Beware of the dogs, the evil workers, of the mutilation. The people that are against that is who Paul is warning uh, the believers here of. Because they're coming in, they're trying to disrupt the church, they're trying to split the church, they're trying to add works to the gospel, find any way that they can draw true believers into a gospel of works, essentially. They're trying to build up the individual person rather than the church is the goal of these people. Saying, oh, you don't need that. You don't need to go to church every Sunday. You don't need the accountability. You don't need to go to that study or that. You can just, you're just fine on your own. You're doing great. You can take that time off. These different things. I think that one of the worst things that you can do in your Christian walk is isolate yourself from the church. Once you're isolated from the church, you lose that accountability. You're losing the spiritual growth. And before you're going to be on a slow decline. Chances are people around you will notice you failing spiritually before you do yourself. I don't remember who the pastor was that said it a long time ago. But he said, in your prayer life, the people you're praying with will know where you're at spiritually. And if you're failing before you do just based off your prayers and how you're declining. It's something that catches you off guard. That's why it says do not be entangled with sin. You know, you put headphones in your pocket, it seems like a second you pull them out and they're just mixed together and it takes you an hour to separate them. That's kind of how sin is. It takes just a second to get into it, to walk into it, to think, like Pastor Brian always says, oh, I can control this. And then you're entangled in it and it takes hours, days, years to get out of it. Mm -hmm. So when you're separating yourself from the church, when you're following these workers of evil and walking away, you often get entangled with that. When you start to take your eyes off Christ, off who you should be focusing on, you start to love Christ a little bit less because you're adding these different aspects of the world. And there's only room for one person in your heart. And it's either going to be Christ or it's going to be something else, whatever it is, whether it's TV, music, you you name it, throw it in there. One of them is going to reign. Sin's not going to take second place. It's either going to be reigning or you put it to death. And it's the same with the Spirit. I mean, think when Old Testament, when they put idols in the temple, what happened to the Shekinah glory of God in Ezekiel? Left. Wasn't going to put up with it. So, verse 4 here. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Paul here is going to make the point that if anybody is going to work their way to heaven, it would be Paul. If it was even possible, Paul would be the number one candidate to get into heaven by his works alone. And he explains it. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day. "...of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning their righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ." So if righteousness came from works, if it came by the law, if you, growing as a Christian, came from your own will, your own doing, had nothing to do with Christ... Paul said he would be blameless. Based on the law, Paul was blameless. But, verse 7, what things were gained to me, the things that he loved in the world, okay the law, being a Pharisee, all these different rituals, different things, I have counted loss for Christ. I think one thing we need to realize is what these things in the world—the things that we love so much—how they, how do they compare to Christ in the grand scheme of things? Paul had the right focus. He said all these different things. He'll go on to say that they're—it's rubbish, it's garbage. Everything that the world has to are, has to offer is complete garbage compared to the glory of Christ and the riches that come from following Him. So he has a he has a correct focus. He has the right. The right lens or the right glasses on when he's writing this, and he's trying to portray this and give this truth to us. So, whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever your faith is in, or your hope is in, even if your hope is going to church, just the act of being here, or the act of reading your Bible. You can read your Bible every day and have no change, but are you truly reading it? There's uh, the one thing that is somewhat of an issue today. has to do with uh, people wanting to become pastors or going to seminary. There's a the joke, oh, if you go to seminary, you lose your relationship with God. You just become so filled with head knowledge that you lose that relationship. And for some people, that's true. They go there. They learn so much. They learn the original languages. They learn systematic theology, biblical theology, exposition, but they leave dead. They're so focused in the head knowledge of the Word of God. They could tell you every reference, everything. They could defend. They could debate these views. One thing a long time ago, probably back in the 60s or 70s, in some seminaries, to graduate, you'd have to be able to debate in the Greek. That was something you'd have to do. Not just know the Greek to where you could read it, but debate in that language. So they could give you a Greek New Testament, no English, and you could walk up here and sit down with somebody and have a formal debate. So it is possible to read your Bible every day, to do these things and still have no relationship. You have to be reading it with the right lens, taking this knowledge, learning about God and realizing who He truly is and treasuring Him in a new way. It's a supernatural reading of the Word is the way John Piper puts it when he talks about the importance of reading God's Word on a daily basis. So going on from that, verse verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death, if by any means that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul's saying, I'm willing to lose everything for Christ. Just to have the knowledge, the knowledge of Christ, the excellence of His knowledge, it's all rubbish. The world, anything it has to offer doesn't even come close. It's, it's garbage compared to just knowing who Christ is. Just having that knowledge. Which if you're a believer, you have that knowledge. You have that saving knowledge of Christ. But do you treasure it? Or has hearing the gospel, hearing Christ crucified, and Him rising on the third day, and Him imputing His righteousness to you, the propitiation of your sins, God's wrath being satisfied, or is that just another thing? Because you've heard it so much. I think one of the downfalls of uh, churches in America, even though we, I think we're extremely blessed to have the security, to have this building, to have this warmth, to have uh, plenty of translation, Bibles in our hands so readily available, I think one of the downfalls is we hear these things so much over and over and over again that we kind of become dead to spiritual things or to the gospel. We say, oh, that's elementary stuff. Mm-hmm. I got my award in Awana or in Sunday school for memorizing John 3.16. That's I think we lose that sight of when we hear the gospel, or even when we hear John 3.16, just the smile it should bring to our face, realizing what that truly means to us, to us who are saved. I think it can be a very dangerous thing when we lose that. I think often, like if you go down to verse 19... We get in this mindset, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. says their God is their belly. Like Pastor Brian said this morning, you could have either physical flesh, being fat and physically in flesh, or in just mentally, knowledge, having an ego, but what is your mind caught up in? Because that's where it's going to lead you. Their mind is on earthly things and where does it lead for them? Destruction. Mm -hmm. That's the end for them. So having our mind, having our God not be our belly, but having our God be truly who God is and having Christ and having that be our focus will not lead to destruction. And in turn from that, the things that, I mean, not only the rewards in heaven which are fun to study and to look at and to focus on, but the joy that God will give you in this life alone. Even if you're suffering, uh, Paul suffered in, in a numerous amount. I mean, he gives the list all the times he was beaten, he was stoned once, when he was whipped, he was shipwrecked, all these different things. He was always in peril, whether in his own country or other countries. But Paul had a joy about him. Even when he was writing, you can see it. Just uh, when, Even when he had the thorn in the flesh and he was prayed three times for it to be taken away. But then when God said, My grace is sufficient for you. Then he rejoiced in his pain and his suffering. Knowing that Christ's power was being made perfect in his weakness. That brought happiness to him. It brought a true joy to him. That Like the verse that we love, which is in Philippians 2, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of that, he says, I have learned to be content in every situation, whether I have plenty of food or whether I'm starving. So he has that where his knowledge, his growth, his spiritual life was so focused on Christ that no matter what he went through, he was always content. He was perfectly fine. And he had, he had a joy, even though he suffered. Because he knew who he was living for. And I think Christ's grace is sufficient, If you're living for Him, He will give you the grace to endure whatever you're called to do. And whatever that may be. Like it says in 2 Corinthians that we are an ambassador for for Christ. The one verse, it's 2 Corinthians 5.21. Another one that I think most of us probably know quite well. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him, talking about Christ and God, for God the Father made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That concept of Christ being made sin for us, this is something I think we should all focus on a lot more than we do. Not just the simple part of, oh yeah, Christ became sin, cool, we don't have sin anymore, he took it for us. But the fact of... So what the Scripture says is, He who justifies the wicked is condemned. That's what the Bible says. Who justifies the wicked? God does. Were we not all wicked? So how then is God, God Himself, how is God the Father not condemned to hell because He justified the wicked? Because that's what the Scripture says. He who justifies the wicked is condemned. And it's because of this point right here. Because Christ became sin for us. He took that upon himself. So therefore that's how God can be the just and the justifier at the same time. Paul makes that, he lays that out in Romans. I don't remember which chapter it is. How God can be just. Therefore God can still be just, he can still judge sin, but yet he can still justify you. And it's all because Christ became sin for you. If Christ had did not become sin for you, God would be contradicting Himself and we wouldn't have a God and the whole Bible essentially is worthless. And what are we doing here? But this point that if you had a scale and you have Christ on one side and anything else the world has to offer on the other side, it's always Christ that weighs more. He outweighs everything. That's how one man in a few short hours on a cross can take the sin, can take all that sin, can bear that can atone for that, can satisfy God's wrath for that in just those few hours. It's because that's how much Christ is worth. Because He's worth more than everything put together. Whatever you think you may love in this time, whatever it is, do not be caught up in it. Do not lose sight of how much Christ is truly worth. How He is your greatest treasure. That's something that I think often we we lose sight of. I've lost sight of that myself at times. I've definitely gotten too caught up in the finer points of theology before. Where I've been more focused on just knowing the passages, knowing the references, knowing the names to the doctrines than I have been truly about what am I learning from this? How am I growing? And instead of taking that and having a different perspective on it, but this simple thing that you've always heard in Sunday school, that Christ is God, that He died for your sins, is such a beautiful thing and it should enlighten us to hear it every time. So, the issue with Israel, the issue with, with us too, we often look at judges or we look at Israel and we look down on them. How could they do this? So, if you turn to Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which He had done for Israel. And Pastor Brian made the point, it's not that these, this next generation had no idea who Yahweh was, that they just have never heard the name before. They knew, but they could care less. They forgot. They knew the works. They knew the stories. How could they not? The kids had to have asked their parents, Oh, how did we get here? Where did you come from? Or what not. They knew who Yahweh was. They knew who God was. They knew about the Exodus. They knew about all the miracles. But it says they did not know the Lord. They could care less. It wasn't their priority. And look what it led them into. Destruction. This is the entire history of Israel has been this issue. They did not treasure God enough. Therefore, it always led them into idolatry. For some of them, they loved women more, so they intermarried and it led them into idolatry. They would worship whatever they could if it meant they got that girl, that Canaanite girl, because oh, is she pretty. Other people, it was money. They just wanted wealth, different things. And they would so readily adopt idols uh, just to simply have to fulfill their flesh, their desire, because they cared not about God. So I'm telling you, don't walk down. As, you rel- As we go through judges, keep that in the back of your mind. What, is, what are they truly treasuring in this scenario that causes them to walk away from God? And don't make the same mistake. Don't have just that intellectual knowledge of God. We're not going to turn there, but Galatians 5, 1-6, through 6, and Hebrews 6, 4-8, through 8, two very controversial passages that people love to pull about losing your salvation, different things like that talking about tasting the heavenly gift, things like that. You can't re-crucify Christ. Okay, Galatians 5, it says, Christ will profit you nothing if you get circumcised. Okay. What Paul is talking about here is not that you're already saved and you're losing to your salvation. He's saying you have all the intellectual knowledge you can have at this point, but you still have no faith. And if you turn away at this point, you're done for. Christ profits you nothing. You've heard it all. You've you've seen the miracles that Paul has done. You've heard it from an apostle himself, and yet you're still considering works. He's saying if you walk down that path where you have heard the Gospel so many times, you have a perfect intellectual knowledge, not a heart knowledge, perfect intellectual knowledge of Christ and the Gospel, but yet you still turn away, you still reject. Paul says there is nothing more for that. You're done. You're cut off. So if you're at that point, or even if you are a believer and you're at that edge point, do not walk off. Do not follow the world. Like Pastor Brian said earlier, uh, earlier today in his message, how God knows how to discipline His children. If He's disciplining you or bringing you back, follow, listen to Him. Do not uh, treasure the world more. So with all that, when you read the Word, when you pray, even if you're just focusing on the Gospel, the things you heard in Sunday school, look at it in a a different light. Look at it in a way, think back to when you were first saved, maybe that joy you had when you were laying down sin, when you were turning, when you were just loving Christ, when you couldn't get enough of the Word, or you couldn't get enough of prayer, or you were excited to come to church. Think back to those times. On how you viewed Christ and never lose that never lose that sight of Christ. So if you can regain that or turn back to that, to truly treasuring Christ, that's where I think spiritual growth is can truly come. We often focus so much on the minor details on the end times, things like that. You'll know everything about the end times when they happen. When they come. But one thing that you could study for all eternity in heaven is the gospel of Jesus Christ and you won't even scratch the surface on God's love for you and what He did through Christ. Yes, it's good to focus on other things and I think you should study them because they're in the Word of God and have healthy discussions about them if you disagree, that's fine. Those are good things to look at. But never lose sight of what truly matters and it's Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank You for For Your Son, we're so thankful for Jesus Christ and all that He did, Lord. Him becoming sin for us. How He outweighs everything that this world can offer. Lord, I pray, please do not let us turn to the world. Redirect our hearts back to You, back to Your Son. Lord, help us to focus on what truly matters in our life. Lord, on the spiritual things, the things that matter for eternity. Lord, on sharing the Gospel, give us a heart for evangelism, a heart for prayer to put our time and our investments in eternal things, not on things that will just so quickly pass away on this earth. Lord, guide our hearts and minds as we go from here. And as we deal with this short business in the church, Lord, just help us to make spirit-guided decisions. And we're so thankful for your blessings in this country and in this church and all you've given us, Lord, and our resources. And I pray that we'll just use them for your glory. pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.